Cast Nonsense. This is episode number 12. I've got with me Sean Cashman. How you doing, Sean? Good, Patrick. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Um, Sean is an animation guru. (laughs) We met on uh, Fanboy and Chum Chum at Nickelodeon, but he's been uh, a director and a supervising producer. And I mean, dude, how long have you been doing this? Uh, Actually, uh, 21 years this year. Yeah. Yeah. That's a long time, man. I've, I've been directing for about a dozen years, and then the whole supervising producer thing just kind of happened around the time when we met at Nickelodeon. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but it's been going on for over 20 years. What's the secret? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I just think that, uh, you know, I had a supervising director when I was working on The Simpsons who told me, he says, look, if, if, if you get a good reputation and you have a good work ethic... And you get a good personality and people like you. He mm-hmm. said, you'll never want for a job. And I'm kind of hoping that's the truth for me because it's just kind of, you know, no matter what I'm doing, I always try and, and work hard and do the best I can do. And I like to have a good time. I sure. like to enjoy the job, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because Lord knows we, we work really, really hard. Oh, yeah. You, you know, you get into the pits. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. So uh, I think that may be the secret. I, I don't have a secret mm-hmm. per se. I mean, um, you know, pretty much my, my whole career has been, um, I've been very fortunate so yeah. and lucky. Well, that's always been my impression of you. I mean, since I've known you, you've just been like, uh, just a really, like, happy, nice guy. Oh, thanks. That I like that you like to keep it calm. You know, things tend to get crazy sometimes yeah. and deadlines start to get weird. Yeah. And, and stuff, but you've always been like really calm and like, yeah, let's have a good time with this. And well, really... it's all smoke and mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I may be calm on the outside, yeah, but uh, you know, it, it may not be that way on the inside for me. But it, it is important to kind of keep that exterior, yeah, because we all know how crazy production gets, right? And, right. You know, all those just insane deadlines that we're all dealing with on a daily basis. It it helps, you oh, know, it absolutely. really does, and, and it's kind of good for me too. So it's. Because it doesn't do me or anybody any good for you know to be running around like a lunatic. So, <laughs> well, that's that's rare. Yeah, well, like I'll tell you, that's rare, man. If you're feeling it, you're not expressing it, and I think that like sorts itself out like down the chain. Mm-hmm. And if you're crazy, your staff's gonna go crazy. Yeah, you know? yeah, and it's if you, it's if you keep it together and like absolutely roll that stuff uphill, but not downhill. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a ripple effect for sure. Yeah. You know, you know, you know, I've had my moments, you know, where I've, you know kind of let loose but it's it's kind of a rarity mm-hmm. you know uh and i think uh sometimes it, it takes people by surprise you know sure. uh, but you know i don't like working like that i don't like working around people like that yeah. you know I, especially for creative people like we are yeah it's like that's not conducive to getting no. what we need to get no. done done you know yeah. so you've got to have a safe environment there was a uh, documentary i forget the name of the documentary i always forget the names uh-huh. which is bad for the podcast but like <laughs> I'll look it up and post it on the web. Sure. Um, but it was uh, about an advertising firm that started up in California mm-hmm. that basically New York laughed at them because New York was doing all the advertising Madison Avenue. You of know? course. And yeah. uh, when these guys started up, they were just kind of like hipsters, like do it your own way, you mm-hmm. know, like California mentality. And um, they ended up just overtaking New York because and, – and the guy said his secret was basically creative types need a safe environment. Yep. They need to know that, like, when they express an idea, they're not going to get laughed at. Absolutely. Because that's where all the guys that have been sitting in the back of the room doodling yeah. in class for, like, 50 years, yeah. you know? And it's like, you got to be safe. You got to be safe with your ideas. And yep. No idea is bad. And, like, 
Let's bring everything to the table. You know? I think that comes with being an artist. You know, it's it's like you know, I mean, at least for me, I always feel like there's room for improvement in mm-hmm. what I do. Um, but there's times when I feel confident in, in that I've done a good job on something. But I think there's part of us that, you know, because it's such a part of us to do what we do, mm-hmm. you know. And then when you're done with it, you kind of want to just present it and say, here, what do you think? You know, right, right. did I do a good job? You yeah. know, because yeah. in, and, and I think there's there's a part of that in all of us, I think, that, uh, you know, wants to be accepted and feel like we're doing something good, you know, even though even though we kind of know we are sometimes, mm-hmm. but you know, I think that helps. It yeah. really helps. It goes a long way. Yeah. I mean, whenever I've been complimented and you know, when I've been working for other people, it's just kind of like, Hey, good job. You know, that goes a long way. Oh, just, yeah. just that good job. You know, oh, that's yeah. all they have to say, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. People just want to be acknowledged. Absolutely. It doing, makes a difference. You know? Yeah. And it's like, I know personally for me, whenever I'm, whenever I'm working on, on artistic stuff and being creative, mm-hmm. I know I'm like my worst critic. Oh, me too. You know, like yeah. it's never good. And yeah. even if it's good, if I walk away from it for half an hour and I come back and I look at it, I'm like, oh, jeez, it's not good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think in animation, especially what we do is, you know, you, you get to see it at so many different stages. Mm-hmm. And even when it come, even when it's in the final stages and it's going to hit the air, you still see things you, you, you wanted to do differently or you feel you could have done better. You know, it's just that whole thing of not enough time for anything yeah but uh, yeah. yeah yeah there's always room for improvement yeah. absolutely there's just a it's never finished it's no. just abandoned that's right pick right. your battles get it done <laughs> and hopefully you've done the best you can do when in you know what time they've given you yeah so that's kind of kind of what it is it's hard man it it's is hard. um so you just i think i just read that you just wrapped on the show that you're working on next friday yeah next, next friday is my last day before but four solid years on, on randy cunningham ninth grade ninja for disney xd yeah yeah, it's been a it's been a st- I, you know I ju- and I jumped to that from directing on Penguins of Madagascar, mm-hmm. and um, and I was thick into that for about a year and a half, just sh- shy of two years I think. On it was that. a great show. Oh, I had a lot of fun doing that yeah, show. Yeah, it was great. Fun. I love the, the I love the show. I love the characters. Yeah. Um, but you know I had an opportunity to go back into supervising and and it was really more of an opportunity kind of like what i had on fanboy to help run the show mm-hmm. because the show creators jed and scott of randy uh, you know had never really run a animated series before they've okay. written for animation but they never really did the nuts and bolts you know day-to-day stuff okay so they, they brought me on to help them do that and it was it was great we had a great working relationship great team and uh we've done about 111 minute episodes damn yeah that's a lot. It's a lot of work. That's a lot. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's like when you look at that, when you look at like a movie being, you know, 90 minutes to two hours long, and yeah. you look at like a season of TV. Yeah. And you do a season in TV, what, like 18 months, right? Like two 18-month overlaps. You did two yeah. seasons, right? We did two so seasons, like yeah. like two 18-month overlaps. Yeah. And you're like... Well, the, it would have been nice if we had an overlap oh, between no, season yeah. one and season two, but we, Did you go we on a hiatus? yeah, we had a break. I mean, not for me because mm-hmm. I was involved in post that kind of carried me over the hiatus, but right. we had about a six to eight month break where wow. we lost a lot of the crew because of it, obviously. Yeah. And then we had to go back and, and rehire and restaff a good, probably 80% of the crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, which isn't, isn't necessarily a bad thing, you know? Um, but you kind of want to keep your core people. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know? want to um, you want to keep the ship moving. The yeah, way that the ship's moving. Yeah, it's weird, and and I feel like so much of so much of a TV show or a movie, you know, it's like 
there's that inherent X factor mm-hmm. that makes something good, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. And when people click, people click. Yeah. And if you, if you change just one person in that formula, yeah, things could get better. Things could get worse, but you're gambling. Absolutely. You know? And so when you destroy a, like half the team that way sure. and then have to go pick them up, you know, you're kind of rolling the dice. Yeah. And it is yeah. a lot like casting, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's just it's like casting actors. You know, you're casting artists, you're casting board artists, you're casting directors. Um, you know, um, especially with Randy Cunningham, which was really a you know they like to call it an action comedy, but we mm-hmm. like to call it a comedy with action mm-hmm. because really the whole business of him being this ninth grade ninja was really kind of a small portion of the show mm-hmm. it was really a buddy comedy about randy and his buddy howard so it was really important to get the you know the right voice actors you know the right combination of people and the same thing with board teams because we had two-man teams that would right. split an episode mm-hmm. we tried to hook a, a comedy guy up with an action guy you mm-hmm. know so that we'd have our bases covered yeah and then sometimes just to kind of switch it up a little bit we'd, we'd have them flop we get give the action guy the acting and the comedy and then give the comedy guy, the action stuff, just to kind of see how it would work out. How'd they work out? With well, this? you know, a lot of times it worked out pretty good because yeah. I think they're. I think you know, both people in those genres of boarding were kind of looking to you know branch out and do something different. Yeah. Sometimes it didn't work out. Most times it did. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was you know it's kind of it was kind of a tough show. It was a lot tougher than it looked. It was you know it was scripted and the scripts were very very dense. Lots of stuff going on. And um, so everybody that worked on it really, really worked hard. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, it sounds tough. It sounds like it's a double threat. You know, it kind of, yeah, absolutely. Comedy is hard to do. Yeah. And then you've got, uh, so you've got to have a really strong writing staff. You have really strong directors. And then you've got like a ninja, like action's never easy. No. Either. No. You know? No, absolutely. And I think it really kind of threw our overseas animation studio for a loop because, Mm. you know, it was done in Flash. Okay. Uh, and you know, Flash has come so far, yeah. and um, you know they, they're handling it pretty well. But I think they realized they bit off more than they can chew when, when we got into the action sequences because we played it very, the action stuff we kind of played it straight, yeah, very cinematic, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and we broke out of that kind of sitcom mode for all that stuff. Yeah. And, and I think it required them to do a lot of extra work that they weren't prepared for. But you know, they stepped up and they did it. Uh, but it was hard for everybody. But we had a great time. It was a fun show. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of sorry to see it see it end is for it, me. Is it end? It's ending. ending no, not really. Just... I, I don't know. No one's actually. No one from Disney has actually said anything definitive yet. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's kind of a convoluted production in that it's it's a Disney UK produced show. Oh, okay. Um, but you know, we 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 do it here. Mm-hmm. But it's animated in in Europe because they need to keep production money over there. Sure. You know, we've been showing season two here right along since uh, last September. Okay. They haven't even aired it in Europe or in England yet. Oh, okay. So, and it doesn't go on until July. Uh-huh. And so they're going to wait a few months to look at numbers and then make a decision. So even if they do, out of some grace of God, decide to do a season three, we're all off on different things by that point. You right, know? right. Because it's going to be a long, another long window where right. there's nothing going on. So I think I think for us who've been on it for the first two seasons, sure. it's 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 over. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Even the show creators have already moved on to a live action sitcom that they're already in production for for Disney. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What so are they working on? Um, it's called, I believe it's called Best Friends Whenever. Okay. I think it involves a little hint of time travel. I think. Oh, that's cool. Uh, last time, last I I heard, I don't know how it's kind of. Uh-huh. 
branched out into its final form. But uh, but yeah, yeah, they're already filming their first six episodes already. Oh, cool. And um, yeah, so I've been kind of holding down the fort on the tail end of Randy, you uh-huh. know, kind of taking care of all the the table scraps of production. Yeah, that's making left sure over. it gets out the door. There's really like so. only four of us on, on the whole crew right now. So. It was on uh, <laughs> on MVA when MVA ended. We were ten we were ten episodes out to the end when DreamWorks started up their TV stuff. Oh right, and everybody started jumping shit. Oh, so by the, the you know like I had a meeting with uh, Andrew Huebner. Yeah, and there was a he was the supervising producer on MVA mm-hmm. and like. We got down to like the ten, like last ten episodes, and I think probably for the last five, mm-hmm. I was sitting on a floor by myself. Oh man, <laughs> I like could... an empty floor, like wow. literally nothing. Because yeah. um, Kelly was still uh, producing, and Huber was still the supervising producer. Sure. But there was there was nothing to do but me and Brett going to color cracks, yep. like reviewing the last kind of kind of final things yeah, absolutely fixing a couple notes on the back end yep so it was like you know yeah Huebner and kelly were off starting a new show yep you know and that's <laughs> kind of where i'm at right now I'm just sitting there like uh retraining myself in pers- <laughs> perspective drawing you know just yeah. waiting for the the next email to pop up yeah you know? I, I think i have i think next week i have i have some promos that we did for the show um that i have to uh mix mm-hmm and I think the only other real thing I have to do is start cleaning up my office. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of a wah, wah, wah. You yeah. know? It's, it's very anticlimactic, yeah. but, you know. But uh, Are you talking to people? Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, once, once, I, once I found out what my final end date was, mm-hmm. um, I really kind of started making the rounds again, getting my, like you say, get your face back yeah. out there, yeah. letting people know, hey, I'm going to be finished around this time. Yeah. If there's anything coming up, keep me in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I've been to Warner's, I've been to, I'm working on going in house in Disney if it's mm-hmm. possible. Um, Disney just seems like a juggernaut right now. Yeah. They are killing it. They've got, they are crushing it. Yeah. You know, they, they don't really tell you a lot of details, but the, the, the gist of the conversations I, I've been having with them is oh, that there's yeah. a ton of stuff just in the gate waiting to come out. Well, that's all. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's no, what but, everybody's but I think it's for real. Yeah, though, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah everybody yeah, kind of yeah, says that because yeah. everybody's been saying that to me. Right. Oh, maybe around June we've got stuff waiting for green lights and this, that, and the other thing. And that's kind of Hollywood. But I think <laughs> with as far as Disney's concerned, yeah. I, I think that's kind of legit. Yeah. And I um, think they're about to break the dam. Yeah. And uh, I've been talking to Nickelodeon. Um, I think they're kind of getting ready. You know, it's funny. Cause I get that feeling. That, we went through that uh, like financial crisis in 2008, right? And yeah. I feel like not only being in California, but mm-hmm. also being in the entertainment industry, I yeah. feel like we're on a three-year lag uh-huh. because I feel like the money gets budgeted yeah. and put up front basically three years before, you know, they know there's the, those movies going to take three years. Sure. Yeah. The show is going to take three years or, you know, we're going to be committed for yep. this amount of time. So I feel like it took... It took the sound wave like three years to hit us, mm-hmm. and then it hit us, mm-hmm. and everybody got shooken up. Yep. You know, in like 2011, yep. 2012, and now people are like, okay, okay. 2000 around 2014, people were like, well, we kind of have to start spending money and trusting this again. That's right. You know, and that's so right. I feel like, and and now it's like a year later. Yep. And it's kind of like things have been in development, mm-hmm. things have been talked about. Yep. People, you know, like the books are opening back up. Yep. And, yeah. So hopefully it's, it's it, going to be a good time. I think it is, to tell you the truth, because I've also been talking to friends of mine at Cartoon Network. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and that's always been a studio where, you know, I worked there for five years too. And that's always been a place that, you know, they're kind of, they're willing to take chances on things over there because a lot of, you know, but I oh, think yeah. even they got a little safe after a while. And then for, I don't know if you remember this, but for a while there, they were even toying with the idea of, of doing less cartoons on Cartoon Network. Right. And they actually tried live action it's stuff. Like and, adult and swim failed. Well, they were not really the adult swim stuff. They actually were trying to go into more just live action series really? work and stuff like that. Yeah. And, um, course it didn't really work out all that well which anybody could have told them that right, but, you know right. but so it's like you say because we worked so far out ahead of everything mm-hmm. it took a while for those waters to kind of settle down and them to realize no we need to get more content more animated content mm-hmm. and go back to what we're really all about which is making cartoons yeah yeah, yeah. so absolutely yeah. but I, so i know i really think that it's not quite so much just kind of hollywood bs right now yeah, i think yeah. i think all the studios are gearing up to really just let it rip. And I hope so, because that's I good have, for everybody. I hope so, too. Yeah. And I feel like we're at this conver- we're at this convergent point, too, where you've got a lot you've got a lot of really talented, like, young people mm-hmm. that have come out of the schools or they've, you know, they've, like, entered the industry. Yeah. And they haven't really been allowed to work because, you know, because money's been tight. Yeah. You know, and everything's been, like, quiet. Yeah. And um, they've kind of grown up with like all the technology that's getting used Absolutely. you know so they're like doing stuff on their own they're putting stuff on youtube yep. they're getting famous yep. on their own and it's like Absolutely. guys we gotta bring some of these people in yep. or we're gonna lose this thing yeah because there's you know the studios aren't just the only avenue anymore right you know yeah. and i think they're realizing that too mm-hmm. so i think it's a smart move and still i think they're i think they're gonna stay Stick around now, you know. I don't oh, yeah. think the studios are going anywhere. No, right? no, because yeah. they all have their own beasts to feed, you know yeah. what I mean? Which is, I think, yeah. what, which is what will keep them alive, yeah. you know. It's, it's not, they're not, they're not studios for hire for someone else. I mean, they've got to do this stuff for themselves mm-hmm. to keep themselves alive. Yeah. So, yeah, 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 which is good. That's great. <laughs> yeah. are, you, are you excited about the Star Wars coming out? Oh, yeah, are you a big Star Wars. Fan? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. 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 I actually, you know, I have two daughters, nine and six, mm-hmm. and I just well recently you know sat them down and i had them watch the original trilogy cool and um it's a good dad yeah <laughs> thank you <laughs> and uh oh you know and and just as we anticipated they just got sucked right into it yeah oh yeah and we actually had a uh i think we have to rewatch um episode four again because they asked so many questions because they were so intrigued mm-hmm. and interested in what was going on and who was who and why is that and all this that that and the other thing and we're gonna have to watch it again just so they can watch the movie because yeah. they did nothing but ask questions for the, the two hours and then we showed them empire then we showed them jedi and yeah they're it's it's Off all over the race. <laughs> it's so absolutely it's so funny. we had uh i remember back in high school we had um there were people that were just like no i've never seen those movies i'm never going to see those movies oh yeah and we had a comparative religion teacher uh-huh. in high school where yeah. you know we'd like go around and like check out the buddhists yeah check the, you know like yeah go all around mm-hmm. and um she she like allowed the option of watching the star wars movies and writing about that mm-hmm. instead of like going to another like religions yes. like, yep. ceremony or yep. whatever and uh, so sense. a couple of these people like sat down and watched the Star Wars movie and you know like I watch the Star Wars movies too cuz if it's available I'm going to like watch it with super people you know <laughs> Sure and uh just immediate converts yeah immediate converts you know yeah. I hope we get back to that stuff I hope these have that same kind of I know. you know thing that touches our soul that those first yep. three had well we can only hope i mean yeah. it seems like there's it's got a good vibe and a good feel on that last trailer there that yeah. came out yeah. so 
I, I'm, I'm hoping it delivers. You I know? keep thinking of, I keep telling people this joke that I read in like a Mad Magazine back in the 90s where <laughs> they said that uh, it takes a fool to change the recipe of original Coke, <laughs> but it takes a genius to bring back Coke Classic. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's great. And so I feel like that's, I like that. that's where we're at on Star Wars. Like yeah. it's almost genius yeah. to like ruin a couple of movies. Absolutely. Just to like bring in the, bring in the heavy guns. I know. I know. <laughs> I think... Uh, um, I read an interview with uh, George Lucas recently. I think around the time he sold the company and, and retired, you know, quote unquote retired. Mm-hmm. But he said, someone asked him, so how does it feel? You know, do you ever think about that you're the guy that made Star Wars? And he said, no, because I've never seen Star Wars. And at first I didn't quite get what he was saying. And then I realized that he was just so close to making it and going through all the trouble he went through just to get the movie done and made and mm-hmm. and you know get it to to you know where he wanted it to be at that time that he never had an opportunity just to hang back and experience it for what it is like we all did mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah. i mean for all of us who experienced star wars we just experienced it out of nowhere yeah you know but for him it it wasn't a it wasn't a, a an easy thing to do. It was very difficult. You know, he had a lot of it, a, lot, a lot of you know they're all, they're all legendary stories about yeah what happened to him making the movie, and then I read a story uh, and uh, with Spielberg and then with Coppola, and all their iconic films from Star Wars to Jaws to Godfather, they all had the same thing to say. They were unpleasant experiences. They were always in danger of getting fired, mm-hmm. losing their jobs. They just wanted to get the movie done and over with. Yeah. So it, it's kind of I felt bad for him when I when, when he said well, I've never seen Star Wars because yeah. he's basically saying I've never seen the movie that all you guys are going crazy over. Right. And that's kind of sad actually. It is you know, sad. it's kind of a bummer. Yeah. But I mean, obviously, you know, I I don't need to be too sad for him, because yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it paid off in you know droves for him but yeah. you know but yeah but I, I you know it's it's so when i showed it to my daughters for the first time and 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 kind of watching it again through their eyes it was it was pretty cool experience yeah, yeah. that is cool you yeah, know i i have this i have this thought this is the first time i've admitted this out loud but it's like <laughs> i'm uh like i'm sad that i don't have a kid uh-huh. you know and it's sure. like kind of influencing those decisions mm-hmm. because there will be three movies yes you know yeah that will come out farther in the time but it's Absolutely. like you know i'd really like to have a kid because i remember when i was little you know i never i had this i had this uh point in time in my life where my parents sat me down mm-hmm. and they'd show me like the first two of the movie okay because the third one would was coming out you oh know? okay so like, yeah i remember like i had i knew nothing about indiana jones mm-hmm so we rented like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. We rented like Temple of Doom the mm-hmm. next week, mm-hmm. and then like I was, oh, yeah. like goo goo bananas <laughs> about those movies. You know? How old were you at that time? Um, pro- when I saw those, probably like, uh, probably like five or six. Oh, okay. Probably so you were young, six, yeah. I think yeah. young, yeah. And um, it was they were showing them to me because that I think the the third one came out in '89. We saw the third one in '89. Uh huh. And. Um, they knew that one was coming. Sure. So it was like, you can go rent these movies mm-hmm. and show your kids these movies. They go Google bananas. And then you're like, and you know what? Mm-hmm. There's a new one coming out right now. <gasps> and they're like, oh, <laughs> they freak, like I freaked out. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I freaked out. Yep. I freaked out. Yep. And the same thing with like back to the future, yep. you know, like they showed me the first two and they'd be yeah. like, there's a third one, yep. you know, yep. and uh, with all those things. But yeah, 
I look yeah. forward to kind of you know experiencing that with my with my girls. You know, I mean, Star Wars is a lot like you know to go back to animation. Star Wars is a lot like Mickey Mouse. It just has a life of its own, and yeah. it's just it just affects every generation after generation after generation. You know, um, I think one of the things uh, when I became a new parent was uh, we had brought my daughter Lily, who was my firstborn, to Disneyland for the first time. I forget how old she was, maybe two or three, something like that. And we we're lined up on Main Street for the parade. And then, you know, of course, here comes Mickey on the last float. And she just went out of her mind. It was like the happiest experience in the world for her. And it was just like, you know, I started welling up. And it was just like, wow, this is what it's all about, yeah, you know? And I think, you know, things like Star Wars has uh, has that same appeal, I yeah. think. It's just, it's kind of universal and ageless, you yeah. know? Um because even those new Mickey shorts that they're doing now at Disney, they're they're great. They're fantastic. And my kids love them. Yeah. And they, you know, and I've showed them all the classic Mickey's. You know, the black and whites. Uh-huh. You know, Fantasia. Steam, yeah, all that stuff. And and uh, you know, and they love the new stuff too. Yeah. Because they don't care. It's Mickey. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Are they into like Frozen and stuff? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean we we have a movie night every every Sunday night. It's great. We show movies, and I try to keep, I try to make them mostly animated films. But yeah. you know you kind of run out of things after a while. Yeah. So we're kind of getting into some more live action stuff now. But yeah, um, yeah, Frozen and you name it, you, they've seen them all. <laughs> how old are they? Nine and six. Nine and six. Yeah. So what are you showing them now? What are you? Um, we actually, you know what? This is very interesting. Um, I was in Amoeba Music one day during lunch, okay. and you know, of course, I go rummaging through that video section there yeah it's crazy i had honestly never i'd seen it a million times oh really never gone in oh and i have a friend that's um her boyfriend Uh is one of like dwight yokum it was dwight yokum's like guitarist Uh uh-huh in the background and he's going out on his own yeah and um it was her birthday and she's like all into the blues and stuff and i was like we'll go to amoeba Uh and i'll get her like oh just crazy great you know, blues record. Oh my and God. I walked in there and I was like, Oh man. Oh no. You get lost in there. You, you can, can the spend the whole day yeah. there very easily. And yeah. I can too. It's a dangerous place. Cause yeah. I never walk out empty handed ever, <laughs> ever. <laughs> so I go in there and I look for like used DVDs and stuff to, for the kids for movie night and mm-hmm. stuff. And I came across, um, some of the, someone had just probably just unloaded all of their old classic live action Disney movies from like the 60s and Whoa, 70s. Okay. And there was tons of them there. Mm-hmm. And there was uh, like a, 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 a four movie set of all the old Kurt Russell Disney movies, like The Computer, The War, Tennis Shoes, and Now You See Him, Now You Don't, Strongest Man on Earth. Right, and I, right. I said, you know, and I took a shot at it thinking, I wonder if the kids would like this stuff because I wasn't so sure their attention span was going to be there if it wasn't animated and didn't have a song every 10 minutes yeah. and you know yeah. uh, you know that whole formula movie stuff totally. uh, animated movie stuff and, and they loved it they ate it up they ate it yeah. up so now we're trying to get into more live action like comedies I tried to show them one of the Pink Panther movies last week uh, yeah Peter Sellers stuff yeah, yeah. weren't interested it's that you know that I remember the same thing happening to me honestly really? like I remember there was there was one night where um my, I think I don't know if it was my dad or my mom said uh, they brought home like Cloak and Dagger. Yeah. With uh, Dabney Coleman, uh-huh. who's in that? I think so. Yeah. yeah. And um, and I was I remember just being like, uh, is this gonna, <laughs> you know, and I like things like Flight of the Navigator. Yeah. And I liked like War Games and yep. stuff like that. Yeah. I, I like, remember those. Eh. And Dad was like, you know, it's a it's a 
it's a fun spy thing about video games. Yeah. And I was like, okay, video games, you got me, you know? Yeah. And I loved it. Yeah. You know? And, cool. but I remember like also like being sat down, watch the pink Panther yeah. and watching the pink Panther and being like, I just don't, yep. I don't get it at all. Yeah. Well, I, I lost them. This. I lost them the second the animated title sequence was over. Really? <laughs> yeah. 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 And all that great Richard Williams animation and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as soon as that was over, they just didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I may have to save that for another time when they're a little older and they appreciate it. I think so. Um, I'm actually showing them. Um, I bought I bought a Blu-ray set of the old Dick Van Dyke show. Okay. Which I grew up with. Yeah. And I've always loved him because he's very slapstick and he's got this big rubbery face and he does this great stuff. And my oldest really loves it. My youngest can't stand it. It's, really? It's odd, yeah. So whenever my oldest, want, whenever Lily wants to watch Dick Van Dyke, you know, Holly, who's my six-year-old, and says, no. Why is it? Why is it? She's it's not interested. She's she not do- interested. You want to hear the main thing for her? Yeah. It's black and white. She doesn't want to watch anything in black and white, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to get her to kind of accept it a little more because I want her to see more classic yeah. things as she gets older. But she doesn't, you know, her six-year-old eyes and brains don't want to process black and white. Even on the Mickey Mouse black and white shorts, uh-huh. it was a little bit of a chore at the beginning to show them that really? stuff. But I think because I think Mickey won them over, won her over, I should mm-hmm. say, and then she didn't care. It was in black and white, but. One of her first questions was, are there any of them in color? <laughs> yeah. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know why it's a problem, but, you know, yeah, that's, it's that's weird. That's so interesting. Yeah. That's so interesting. It is. I don't know if it's like, I used to have an association with like, you know, black and white being old and that being boring. Well, I think that's, that I think that's Holly. I think that's her because yeah. she, she, she likes that word boring. She says it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and of course, you know, attention span at six years old is not very long. So oh, yeah. she, they get bored very easily. Totally. Yeah. And totally. so, yeah. So I think that's, that's where my she's par- at. Uh, my parents broke me into that stuff with, uh, I think like some Cary Grant movies, mm-hmm. like br- uh, bringing mm-hmm. up baby mm-hmm. with the cougar. Yeah, and uh, arsenic and old lace. Yeah, I remember watching arsenic wow. and old lace, and that was and thinking that was funny. I think you know you should when you're young watch some some classics if you have the attention span yeah. for it. Yeah. Uh, but that's yeah. tough. To it is it. hard. Now I find it tough to watch those things. It's hard. Um, even uh, even newer stuff from the seventies or eighties, I'll go back and rewatch and just be like, oh, oh yeah. Oh. Or it's slow. I'm like, why is this? Yeah. So I'm like, I get it. Come on, yeah, yeah. I get it. The first time I watched 2001: A Space Odyssey, oh, <laughs> oh my god, uh-huh. I'm like sitting there. It's the it was the first DVD I ever bought. Oh really? Yeah, and I popped it in, and you know my dad used to rave about it, and I'm sure. sitting there in the basement, and I'm watching this thing, and it's like 15 minutes into the monkeys at the beginning, and I'm like, I freaking get it. Yeah, like I get it. Like, <laughs> okay, I know. Self realizing, that's great. Oh yeah, Let's move it along. <laughs> I can't even imagine how my kids will react showing them that. Oh, you know, no. I, I yeah, just I can't even imagine. Let them figure that one out. Like. Yeah, when they, get old, when yeah. they get older. Yeah, absolutely. Know? Let them do it on their own, you know? Absolutely. Oh, man, that's so funny. Um, I want to hear about The Simpsons, man. What was, because I look, uh, when I looked you up, mm-hmm. I saw that the, one of the episodes that you directed was The uh, the Tale of Two Springfields. Yeah. That's, that's one of my favorite episodes. Oh, well, thank you. Well, yeah. that's cool. Where they steal the uh, lemon tree from Springfield. No, that this Isn't Tales that? of Springfields is where they build the big wall of garbage and they separate the city into two oh, halves. Remember? Shit. That's okay. That's all right. Yeah, it's all right. Wrong. No problem. That's still a great one. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah, that one was. Uh, that's got quite a history. That that episode. Yeah. Yeah. It. Uh, it was. 
the the point at which I was given a show to direct finally after being on the show for seven seasons. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I was already on King of the Hill at that point mm-hmm. as of as a director, but I I wanted as a personal thing I wanted to be able to at least get a Simpsons show under my belt as yeah. a director. Yeah. Um, because basically, you know, I started my career on The Simpsons, and I spent so much time. I mean, compared to other people that are still on the show that I used to work with, I mean, for me. Uh, seven seasons on, on the same show a, a is a long time for anybody. Seven seasons for any show. That's is what I mean. For any show, for that's right. Exactly. Yeah. And Film Roman at the time, you know, where they do the show, uh, really kind of afforded people on staff to branch out and do other things if they wanted. Mm-hmm. So I kind of took advantage of that, and it was really my schooling in animation because I was a I was an illustrator and designer that worked at a newspaper before I came out here. Okay. I had never done animation. I was always interested in animation, and I knew about the mechanics of animation, mm-hmm. but physically, I had never done any of it. Mm-hmm. So, someone saw something in my drawing test to hire me and give me a job. So I figured, okay, now is my chance to take advantage of here and, and learn what I need to learn. And so when I when I got the full time gig directing on king of the hill which was just upstairs from the simpsons yeah um you know i figured well their schedules were were such that when king of the hill was on a break simpsons was in production you know there was a little bit of an overlap so i kind of hit up this uh, jim reardon the supervising director on the simpsons i'm like hey i know you know, because they, they always have these different tiers of directors. They have three three show directors, two show directors, and then they bring in directors that maybe will only do one episode. Okay. And usually the one episode directors sometimes are, they give those t- opportunities to assistant directors who mm-hmm. may want to direct. Right, right. And, and, and because it's the end of the season, they can afford to kind of move them up for a little while, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. So I was on break from King of the Hill, and I really kind of rallied to, to get an episode to do in The Simpsons. Yeah. And uh, and I use always use the quote from Martin Sheen in, in Apocalypse Now that says, "For my sins, they gave me one," <laughs> because uh, you know, be careful, be careful what you ask. You yeah, ab- yeah, absolutely. But you know what? I'm happy with the episode, and I'm glad I got an opportunity to, to direct on The Simpsons. Yeah. I mean, it meant a lot to me to to be able to do that. Uh, but that show had a very long and uh, crazy history to it. it. There was a lot of starts and stops to the show. Uh-huh. Um, I actually, and I'll tell you why, uh, I won't ramble on too long about it, but uh, th- there was actually a point during the production of that Simpsons episode where I actually went back to King of the Hill, directed another episode, then came back to the Simpsons and finished that episode. No way. Yeah. Well, well, they don't like to make it public knowledge, but they were having real issues getting a guest star for that Simpsons show. Okay. Because initially, Mike Scully, who was the executive producer, wrote the episode, and he wrote it for Bruce Springsteen. Because oh. he's a Springsteen fanatic. Yeah. Now I'm probably going to catch hell from someone for spilling the beans here. But anyway, so I guess they wrote the script. They never approached Springsteen about it until afterwards. So we start boarding the show, and we're boarding it with Springsteen and the E Street Band. Okay. Now the basic crux of the story is is still there in the yeah. finished product, but Springsteen said no. So I guess Mike wasn't going to take no for an answer, and he kept asking him. He must have asked him, from what I hear, I don't know if this is true, four or five times, and he kept getting turned down. So it got to the point, well, we've already boarded this entire episode, three acts of a 22-minute episode. 
with a guest star that's not going to do the show. <laughs> so uh, they they shut down production until they found a guest star that would say yes. So at that time, they approached they approached two other bands that initially said no, but ultimately in time came to do guest spots on The Simpsons. One was Tom Petty, mm-hmm. I think, and the other one was The Stones. Yeah. Uh, but they initially said no. I think Aerosmith. Aerosmith's been on there too. Yeah, Aerosmith's yeah. been on there, yeah. But you know, later on down the road, both Petty and and the Stones did the show, did yeah. Simpsons, but they just didn't do this particular episode. So uh, they approached the Who, and uh, they said yes, which was great because cool. I'm a huge yeah, Who fan. Was great, yeah. yeah. And my AD Josh Tabak, uh, who's another huge Who fan, we were like, yes, yeah. <laughs> you know, this is going to be fun. Because up to this point, it hadn't been fun because we knew we had to board a show for a guy that's not going to be on it. Yeah. And that meant we knew we were going to have to reboard the show for whoever they get, right, which right. is going to involve a lot of rewriting, a lot of reboarding, all that stuff. Right. So um, the who says yes. Mm-hmm. So, okay, we go back to reboard. We start designing the characters and all this stuff. So I go off to King of the Hill while they're trying to track down someone. They, they get the who. I come back down from King of the Hill to pick up the show where we left off on The Simpsons. Um, How so, much time had passed? Oh, well, it usually takes in prime time on those prime time shows uh, to direct an episode takes about four and a half months, uh-huh. five, four and a half months, yeah. maybe five months. Because I used to do, I was a two show director on King of the Hill, and I would do two shows in like nine months. Okay, so so just split it in half. Okay, um, so yeah. So that Simpsons show was just laying dormant. Just laying it was supposed to have been the season finale of this particular season. Mm-hmm. And because they had to shut it down, it was now going to be the season premiere of the next season. So that's how much time had passed. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. That's it was crazy. crazy. Yeah. So they just shelved it during they, the summer. They shelved, they shelved it while they got a guest star and rewrote. Yeah. And then we started reboarding. And... So then Mike Scully goes over, Mike Scully and I think Dan Castellaneta go over to London mm-hmm. to record. I guess the day of the record, Ant Whistle's there, Roger Daltrey's there, no Pete Townsend. Mm-hmm. And they're waiting and they're waiting. And so someone finds out, I guess, that Pete Townsend, I guess the night before, decides, mm, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Just like that. Dude, I, I, I love people. I know. I don't <laughs> want to do this. <laughs> so Roger Daltrey says, well, you know, Pete's brother. Oh, who was it? Is it Paul? No, not Paul Simon. Uh, I can't remember one of his. One of his brothers actually lived two blocks away from the recording studio. He says, and he sounds just like Pete. <laughs> and he sounds just yeah, like, like him. Pete. <laughs> Let's see if he wants to do it. And they said, okay. So they actually go down to this guy's house. He's outside on a ladder painting his house. And and Rogers, oh, I guess Rogers there with Mike and Dan, and and so they talk him into it. And he agrees to do it, and he does. He sounds just like Pete. But the funny thing is, you know, all these years that you know the, the guest stars, the Who, and it's it's actually only Daltrey and Townsend, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, so so we just continue the show without Townsend, and we we get our tracks from the Who, and and um, we do the show, and. I don't, I don't know what happened, but I had heard in, in post, I had already gone back to King of the Hill, uh-huh. but I guess in post, they kept needling and tweaking and changing and, 
and doing things to the show right up until air, I guess. And, and supposedly at that time, it had the highest retake and post budget of any episode ever oh. because, you know, uh, but I was already off of it yeah. by then. Yeah. Um, but it was just a lot of fun to do it because we put in a lot of visual gags, you know, of, about the who in the show. And we actually got to put Keith Moon in there in one little shot as an homage to him because he was, you know, already dead, obviously, by mm. that point. And um, so, yeah, it was great. I mean, I was happy to have my first and really my only Simpsons episode as a director mm. to have the who in it. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you, here's the best way to describe what it was like doing that episode. I would come into work. My AD would already be there, Josh. I'd walk in the door. I would no sooner sit down at my desk, and he would say, so, you want the bad news, or do you want the bad news? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, and I'm like, oh. Just, <laughs> it's just like, okay, just give it to me. And it was always something with yeah. that episode. So Jim Reardon, the supervising director, I guess kind of felt bad for me, and he offered me you know, two more episodes, but I was actually already committed to King of the Hill. But yeah. I could have done two more Simpsons shows because, you know, you worked hard and you did a good job in, in, in spite of everything that was thrown in front right, of you and, right. and all that stuff. But I would have to have left King of the Hill to go back to the Simpsons to do it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I tried to get a full-time gig directing on the Simpsons and the producer wouldn't give it to me, but they gave it to me on King of the Hill. So I felt like I needed to go back to King of the yeah. Hill just out of, you know, respect for them. And their decision, you oh, know, sure. but it worked out well. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I kind of got what I wanted. Yeah. I, I directed a Simpsons episode and uh, I did six seasons on King of the Hill as a director. Yeah. So, you know, it, it all worked out. But it was another great show. Oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah, I did. Uh, yeah. Season first season, I was an AD and I directed from season two through seven. So how yeah. hands on was Mike Judge? Um, not really. You know, he did everything long distance from Texas. Oh, okay. I think he lived out, uh, doesn't leave Texas. <laughs> outside of Austin. The only time we would see him is when in, uh, his kids are on summer vacation from school because okay. they had a place out here uh-huh. and he would come out here and spend the summer. Cool. And we'd see him in the, in the, in the sessions and stuff. I mean, I got to meet him a few times. He's a, he's a great guy, yeah. very kind of down to earth. And, uh, I actually saw him at Titmouse a little while ago. Um, he was doing a, I think, a music video for someone, and they were they were doing the animation for it. Cool. And so Chris Pernoski, who runs the studio, was taking him around, and he and he walked by my office, and he saw my big King of the Hill poster and my big Simpsons poster, and he looked at me, and he goes, hey, I remember you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a cool guy. But basically, the 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 day to day hands on running mm-hmm. of the show initially was Greg Daniels. Okay the co-creator mm-hmm. and of course who went on to do the office and parks and rec and yeah. you know and then it was rich appel after that who was another simpsons uh you know writer and, and producer and showrunner um and we went through a lot of showrunners actually the, during those six seasons um and they're all pretty cool i really i really in, enjoyed working on the show initially my first reaction when they showed me the pilot was mm-hmm. i don't know if i want to do this yeah. you know but it was an opportunity yeah. So I took it, and I'd say about halfway through doing the first episode, it it put the hook in me. Mm-hmm. And I, because once I got the show, and realized what great writing it was, and the characters were so solid, yeah, you know, I I was I was a convert very quickly. Watching it took me a couple. Of, it took me yep. a, like half a season, I think. Mm-hmm. Watching it um, when I was growing up, but yeah. then, you know, there was just the, that point in there where you were probably directing, you know, there was yep. that point in there where like 
those characters just mashed up so well. Absolutely. And some of those like situational things. And yep. The characters were just so strong. Absolutely. That, you know, like everything became a catchphrase. Yep. Everybody was doing Boomhauer everywhere. Yep. And like Dale was funny as hell. Oh, yeah. And, like it was just, it was nobody knew whether it was, no, nobody knew whether these people were doing what they were doing because yep. that's was that was the reality. Yeah. Or whether the, it, was meant to be like yep. a farce of what was uh-huh. how some people lived. And yeah, it was just like you know, the funny part is too. I, really I, I remember Greg saying one time that the the main thing that they didn't want to have happen with mm-hmm. the show is that it felt like they were making fun of people. Yeah, although they had some real characters in the show yeah. and stuff that had you know very noticeable kind of quirks and things, but. He wanted to make sure that, you know, no one felt like they were really kind of looking down their nose at them and stuff like right, that. Right. And um, the funny thing is, for me, what I found out years later, uh, when I first went overseas for Randy Cunningham, um, I went over to London uh, to the Disney offices there before I went to uh, Dublin, where they were animating the show. And um, come to find out that, I guess, apparently King of the Hill was a big hit in England. Yeah. And you wouldn't, I mean, for me, I wouldn't think that that kind of humor about a bunch of Texans would catch on with a bunch of people in England, but yeah. it really did apparently. And it was, it was a big, there were a lot of big fans over there. And I thought that was really interesting, you know, and it made me feel good too. But yeah, yeah I just, it didn't make sense at first, but you know, I kind of get it now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> You know, I'm well, sure they. Sp- there's some spots in England that are probably exactly like that. <laughs> in their own way. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And of course, you know, I always have a feeling they're kind of looking at us out of the corner of their eye anyway. You know? Oh, yeah. yeah Americans, I mean, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I think everybody around the world knows us well enough to know, you know? Yeah. But, oh, man. Dude, that is those are great stories. No, thank you. Yeah, thanks yeah. for coming on and sharing them. Oh, no problem. Uh, there's 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 a lot of them, but yeah. uh, you know, but yeah, I mean, you know, for for a guy who basically just you know at one point in his life just decided you know I don't want to do what I'm doing anymore and this is what I want to do. I've been very fortunate and very lucky. Did you lucky. ever feel like? Uh, did you ever feel like you were going to step away from it? Or there's there's there, ever... there's times when I think you know. I don't know if I want to do this anymore, mm-hmm. uh, but that's usually during, you know, either production problems and or what seemingly feels like you know endless production problems. Mm-hmm. When I, you know, I, I feel like, oh man, you know, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. How do you get through that, and what what brings you back? Well, it's like I tell my wife, I, 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 I for me, it, it's all about the end result. Mm-hmm. I think. We are lucky in a way that most people that work every day don't get to experience. And what we get to experience is we get to see an end result of what we do, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so a lot of times for me, um, just even like sitting down and watching an episode of Randy Cunningham with my kids, a finished episode on TV, that's kind of the reward, yeah, because I get to see how they react to it, and if they like it, and if they laugh where they're supposed to laugh, and and if I feel like, boy, that came out really nice. Mm-hmm. That episode really, really worked. So for me, that's that's I think that's the seed of what keeps me going. I think you know you just got to kind of get past like we talked about earlier, just the day to day production issues, yeah. and and you know because it's just not an easy thing to do. It's very tedious and. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a lot of time to do it, and it's it's more work than you have time for. You yeah. know, nine times out of ten. Yeah, I mean, you know that, and 
And, um, but we do it yeah. and, and we do it because there's a part of us that really kind of loves what we're doing. Yeah. But for me, it's it, what keeps me going is the end result is we have a finished product to look at, yeah. you know, and you know, I've got, after all this time now, I, I don't even know how many episodes of TV I've directed or produced. Uh, it's so many of them, but I've got something to show for my self. You oh, know what absolutely. I mean? And I think that's what kind of keeps me going. The only problem I have with it is, is that I think I've gypped myself out of the ability to sit and watch something objectively now. You know, I, I totally get that. Even yeah. especially stuff I've worked on, because now I just can't sit and enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, I'm always like you say, like you said before, you always see something. Oh, we probably could have done that better. Yeah. Or boy, that didn't get fixed, or no, oh, that really kind of fell flat and didn't work out. Um, and of course, dealing in post production, which I do a lot too, is is I'm always seeing the little mistakes and yeah. the little things that take me out of being a viewer. That's the only thing that kind of bothers me is that I can't just sit back and enjoy it um, for what it is, you know. There was uh, we we started. I've never watched uh, Six Feet Under. Have you ever oh. seen that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And uh, we started watching it recently, uh-huh. and we were like in the third episode. Yeah. And I was like a half an hour in, and I I like got up. And I was just like, this is, like, I can't watch this. This is, like, a writer's exercise. Oh, okay. I can't listen to this. I can't listen to these characters have situations (laughs) introduced and see how they'll handle the situations and then have something taken away from them and then have something given back. And, like, it was just, it was, like, formulaic. And they were doing it well, but it was, I was like, I had to sit down and, and think to myself, this is, this will get better. This yeah. is just cause I'm in the first three episodes. Like these yeah. writers don't know each other yet. No, The characters don't know who they are yet. Yeah. And like, this and the will, viewers don't know who they yeah, are yet. So, so we, yeah, yeah, exactly. So we just pushed through. And then like by episode six, I was, I was totally hooked Yeah, and it was good and it was yep. meshing and like the writing yep. was good. But in that moment, it was, you know, exactly what you're saying. It was yeah. like, I, I just, I saw the set. <laughs> I didn't see the show. I saw the set. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, because it's all exposition at that point, you know? They got to set everything up for everybody. Right. And sometimes they take a little longer than they need to, mm-hmm. you know? But that was the same thing for me in King of the Hill. It was just, I had to really just let that stuff sink in and get to know what that show was about and what those characters were about, mm-hmm. you know, because I just come off of working seven seasons of basically, you know, the Homer Simpson show. Yeah. And, you know, which was great. But it's Simpsons and King of the Hill are just so different from each other yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And then then going from King of the Hill to I went to Cartoon Network after that, mm-hmm. where I went from doing twenty two minute, basically you know animated sitcoms to classic seven eleven minute shorts yeah. and crazy Tex Avery animation. Oh, a and totally different stuff audience. like that. Yeah. 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 It, it was it was a tough adjustment for me, but you know, but I found it very liberating at the same time because it's like. You know, uh, supervising producer on Billy and Mandy was the first show I worked on at Cartoon Network. And they said, you know, yeah, your timing's good, but it's still a little slow. You know, you may want to just, you know, just have that character zip off screen in like three frames. I'm like, three frames? I can do that? <laughs> they said, oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. <laughs> I still hear yeah. that when I hear three frames. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I, I have like a fundamental understanding of things that are like, 
uh, how many frames it takes the human mind to like yeah. register. To yeah. register. Yeah. And it's like I hear three frames and I'm like, dude, I don't think you mean three frames. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And sometimes it's like three frames. Yeah. If someone's making yeah. an exit, you know, that you yeah. can get away with it. Sometimes it's a little too quick. Yeah. I mean, you know, I remember on Fanboy, we were looking at animatic and I was uh, basically telling Eric, I said, you know, um, yeah, your basic retention uh, in your mind's eye is, is about four frames. Yeah. If you go down to three, uh, it may not look like what it's supposed to look like because it may look like a mistake because it's almost too fast. I said, but sometimes three frames will work for you. You yeah. know what I mean? It all depends on where you use it. It's yeah. that kind of stuff, yeah, you know. Totally. But yeah, I mean, when I found out that I could do stuff like that and like four frame camera moves, six frame camera moves, and like you know, because King of the Hill, really, let's face it, King of the Hill, the stationary, is like watching paint dry. I mean, it's just like yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, as far as timing goes, you yeah. know. I don't mean to make it sound derogatory, but it's just like from a time animation timing standpoint. I mean, Hank walked on a sixteen frame it was walk a, cycle. It was a sitcom. Yeah, exactly. Was, they were standing around yeah. in the alley. And he's a big lumbering house. guy yeah. that used to walk very slow, yeah. or they would just stand there and drink beer, yeah. or he's driving his truck, he's yeah. just panning backgrounds. You know, totally. it's not that difficult. And yeah. even their acting and their reacting and stuff wasn't that quick. Although for king of the hill style we did do some quick stuff when it needed it mm -hmm. but compared to like doing cartoon network style stuff oh yeah it yeah. was still slow you know so you know that was a real breaking point for me personally and i think working at cartoon network and developing that kind of style of of timing that i picked up from friends of mine that worked on powerpuff girls or samurai jack and mm -hmm. things like that i've carried on now down into my career over into when i when i directed the fanboy pilot mm -hmm. Ooh, i'm sorry i i think i just kicked the dog oh, fine, <laughs> um so you know so that's really kind of become more my wheelhouse and my comfort zone yeah you know i think if i had to you know, just hypothetically, if I ever had to do, do timing on King of the Hill right now, I'd probably have a problem with it. Yeah, it'd probably move way too fast. I, it would move way too fast, or I would try to overcompensate by slowing everything down, or it would right, be too right, slow. Right, right. You know? Yeah. It's weird. Interesting. It's weird. But, you know, the Cartoon Network was, I think, uh, a real kind of pivoting point for me in, in my sensibilities as far as directing and and producing because that's where i first became a producer as well mm -hmm. uh, but i was still directing at the same time um so that was that was a real important time for me but i think it's that's what's helped move this part of my career do you do like as the supervising producer do you ever step in and and draw things you know for, it depends on the show you're working on uh, -huh. uh and but over time um you know, the kind of higher up the food chain you go, the less drawing you do. Right. On Randy, I barely did any. Right. The only thing I would do is I would just do some screen grabs and just do some light sketching or notes on things. Mm -hmm. But no, no actual re real drawing, no. Yeah. And, it, and it's and it's uh, it bugs me. That's what it I'm bugs saying. me. Yeah, no, it, it really kind of bothers me. And um, I find that when I do have like maybe a freelance illustration job or something where I actually sit down and have to draw something. Um, I'm rusty. Yeah. I'm rusty and yeah. it's really frustrating and it's really annoying. I get really upset. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You atrophy. I mean, it's, like a, absolutely. it's like a language. Absolutely. And if you stop using yep. it, you lose it. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of the trade-off when you're doing something like being a supervising producer because uh, like on Fanboy and especially on Randy, um, you're still 
you're not only a supervising producer, but you're also still a supervising director, really. Mm-hmm. A lot of shows, they'll have two different people doing those, those two jobs, and some shows not. Mm-hmm. So you really don't have, A, have the time to do right. any drawing. And if yeah. you do, it's just a real thumbnail on a piece of paper and just say, okay, do it like this, you yeah. know, yeah. or try this. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of sad, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing I miss the most, you know? You could... Yeah, that's uh, that's tough. Yeah, that's tough to do. Yeah, but you know, it's it's good in other ways. Yeah, it's give and give and take. I get my hands dirty in all aspects of production. Uh, I, I'm involved from the beginning of a of a cartoon to the end of it, yeah. and that's pretty cool too because you're not doing the same thing every day. Yeah, you know, every day's different. Yeah, yeah, you're doing something different. And you cra- you're crafting the overall package. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so yeah, you really yeah. got your hands in how that final product is going to be. Yeah, and to me, that's that's fun. Yeah, that's I like what that. It's about, I like to look that. At that and say I did that. Yeah. yeah, you know, I like I like you know putting the effects in there and helping spot music and doing the edits with the editors and you know it's cool. It is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, that was an hour. Are you kidding me? It's fast, right? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. That's, <laughs> My a, pleasure, man. It was great. That yeah, was great. anytime. Come back and share I would love to. I would love to come back. Yeah, and, and tell stories. Sure. Okay. <laughs> awesome, man. Thank nice. you.